I'll be yet less. Good afternoon, at least for me, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, coach of Top Step Training. It is, uh, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon here for me, but for you guys, we've got Marilyn. Hey guys, uh, just past 7 a.m. here. Good to see you. Marilyn Chakota. you can find everything about me on mcc.coach. Good to see you all. And we got Elliot. Hey everybody, Elliot Bassett, Mountain Endurance is the name of my company. And it is also just past seven where I am. So we're, we're fired up and we're ready to go. Highly like, caffeinated. I'm to wind down. That's the opposite, but that's okay. At three Two morning, highly caffeinated people and a winder downer. This could be fun. <laughs> three p.m. is supposed to be your peak workout time, so you should be. If you, this isn't your best podcast ever, we're kicking you out. <laughs> all right, I'm ready. Firing on all cylinders. <laughs> um, so yeah, where in the world are you right now, Elliot? Oh, I'm in. I'm in uh, Boulder, Colorado. One of those guys now. Can't you tell by my flannel? Nice. Good for you. And Mar Marilyn, you're back in Tucson? Back in Tucson. I had a busy January, Costa Rica, then San Diego, but uh, finally back home for a little while here until we do our camp, Jesse, which I'm super excited about, end of February. So got a couple weeks breathing room, and then we get to host our annual Tucson uh, training camp. Lots of hours, lots of athletes, and uh, we have a great time that week. So looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I'm stoked. I'm uh, excited to go back to Tucson. I'm not excited for the flight, though. I haven't really wrapped my head around that. It's like booking the flight was easy, but sitting there for 18 hours is going to be less easy. But, uh, but yeah, I get to go back to Tucson and uh, see everybody and do some fun training. And I'm going to be sleeping in my bed, but in the guest room of my house. So it's going to be a little bit interesting, but uh, yeah. Excited to get to stay in my house. So that'll be fun. Wait, isn't that also your podcasting studio, aka the old garage? Uh, Am I revealing yes. too many details about the layout of your house? No, it's, it wears a lot of hats. But Jesse's house is like a Swiss Army knife. It can do anything. But yeah, right now, the, it is very full with a king bed in there because it basically takes up the entire room. But it is yeah, going to be my home away from home while I'm in Tucson. So I'm excited. Um, but as I am not in Tucson right now, I'm in Switzerland and I'm trying to get settled in. Part of getting settled in has been swimming a little bit more, hopefully, than I was earlier. And so it, I have been getting to the pool a little bit more. And one of the things that has kind of made me think about is the team I jumped in with is a team of mostly juniors and some kind of like people making that, that bridge from junior racing to ITU racing. And then a few age group swimmers and then me and the set that he's writing down for the fast lane is like 6,500 and that's long course meters. And there's, you know, a 12 year old whose feet I'm swimming on and a 14 year old in front of him. And, and they're swimming these kind of giant sets at least Saturday and Sunday. And then some of them four days a week. And on the other side of the spectrum, I have a few athletes I'm coaching right now that still have at the pool, their local pool, have got like 45 minute time slots that they're allowed to book because they're still like COVID regulation lockdown. So no cross contamination, like 45 minutes in the water buffer zone on each time between your time slot so that there's, you can't like look at anybody else on the deck. 
And, um, <laughs> and that, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know like how, why it still plays out to 45 minutes, but. Um, you have to breathe. You can only breathe to the left on when you go down one way and you have to breathe to the right when you come back. Well, the, you have Flash your snowballs and you're fine. Okay. You know? Okay. And you have a lifeguard with an air blower blowing the air. In <laughs> yes. Just leaf blowers constantly blowing. Um, but yeah, just. <laughs> Just well, to, so just to butt in, like I, I've heard a lot of people in that scenario that some gyms and some pools have said, hey, it's just way easier to force people into these rules and people still want to swim. So they're having success, basically, just like they're like they're deeming it successful, basically, by just clamping down on rules. And the people who are in charge were just like, hey, this is easier for us. We don't care that it makes the swimming experience um, a lot more difficult. And then that's what you'll get into. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, for most people, maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes is a great swim. You know, you get in and you do a small swim and you're psyched on it. And and so maybe there's a, you know, that general population that isn't triathletes or swimmers where they're psyched on that. And so if you're catering to them, maybe it is a success. But the way we would look at it is probably like, oh, well, if you're struggling to get in 3000 yards in a swim, then maybe that's not enough swim time. So it's kind of had me thinking about both ends of the spectrum where I've got a couple of like people or teams, groups that are doing, you know, 6,000 yards three times a week. And then some other people that I'm coaching that are like struggling to get in, you know, 3,000 yards, trying to get in there five times a week, both trying to get in that same end goal of, you know, maybe similar yardage, but like the approach is, is totally different. And and so, yeah, I was kind of just curious to talk about the topic and, and maybe like how different scenarios like that could work for different people and, and maybe the why behind that. And if there's a way that you think is more effective and why, and yeah, that, that, let's dive into the deep end on, on swim volume and, you know, duration. Yeah. I think the, the biggest question to so many puns in there, nobody. All right, go for it. <laughs> I got them. I got them. Dive in the deep end. Uh, it just weren't that funny, Jesse. No, just, <laughs> um, you know, I think the first thing that you have to do as an athlete and coach is figure out what the athlete actually needs to do. Cause we're talking about, you know, you're talking about all these different scenarios, five days a week, three days a week, six K three K, but someone might come to me and say, well, how much do I need to swim to achieve my goal? So first of all, like, what's the goal? So what, what are we training for? What distance race, you know, what's the swim goal time, what's their background. And then what does that person actually need in order to accomplish that goal? So is it, is it, you know, and I think that's, that's actually the question that we're asking versus, you know, you and, and as a coach, it sounded like in your mind, you had a very clear visual of how much, cause you just said right there at the end, you're trying to, there was two ways to get to the same end result. So in your mind as a coach, you're like, this is what it takes in order to swim well, right? You have a defined um, visual of what it means to be able to swim well in a, in a triathlon. And so what does, what does that look like? And is there other ways? And is that applicable to every single athlete with the, with different, different goals? So, so let's, um, what, what, uh, when you were saying that, what was on your mind as far as like, okay, this is, cause it was very clear is like, we're trying to, we went two different approaches to get to the same spot. So there was a clear end, but it wasn't maybe clear to every athlete and every listener. 
So yeah, this is actually something that I want to do more um, on this podcast with you guys is give really concrete examples and kind of try and leave some of the caveats out of there. Like I'm going to say, you know, I think 15,000 yards to get ready for an Ironman is, is a good, is a good like benchmark, but sure. I don't mean that for everyone and it doesn't apply to, you know, like everyone at all, but, uh, but just to, to pin down one number, that's like a number that's usually in my head when athletes are trying to get ready for an Ironman that many yards in a week, I think is, is a really good, like, you know, a really good benchmark to hit and, and, you know, big range there. Like if you're hitting 12, great. If you're getting 16, even 18, awesome. You know, so definitely some wiggle room there. And I, I don't think there's any magic formula, but I, I think that's like a good kind of point to strive for. And I've, I've had like points in my swimming where I'm swimming 10 K a week and I can really maintain fitness really well with that. And then if I bump up to 15, that's usually that point where I start to kind of gain fitness. So it kind of depends again on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to move the needle and, and I'm using myself as an example, I've seen similar things with other athletes, you know, and, and again, there's no defined cut point, but maybe they're swimming 8K, 9K and they're kind of maintaining, but we will go 12, we go 15, we go 16. They really get that jump in fitness by doing that for, you know, a few weeks in a row. So in a block of time leading up, leading up to an Ironman, I like to see people, you know, again, like people that, are swim proficient and yada, yada. I like to see them kind of in that range. I think yeah. you, you need to put a time caveat. Like you're essentially talking about people who swim like under 105, 107 for an Ironman. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people listening to this who don't swim. You know, for a lot of people, the hour swimmer is a fast swimmer. In your race, you're in the pro field. That's the slow swimmer. There's tons of people who are swimming 6K, and if they bump up to their big Ironman build and they're swimming 8K or 9K, they're swimming like three 2,500, 3,000-yard sets, and maybe they do one or two 4K swims before the race. That's a lot because that person's probably not training as much other places. Maybe they don't have time. Maybe they don't have fitness. Maybe it's both, right? So I think the main thing what you just pointed out was you're talking about I was maintaining at 10K and you bump to 15 and that's for you who's like often a 52 to 55 minute swimmer and if you're more like finished trying to finish the swim in one piece a lot of times the answer to that's going to be bumping your swim from 5k to eight or nine um and so maybe a better way to look at it be like hours you know because like if we look at it in hours and it's probably fairly similar oh i I mean, you're not going to swim 15. I mean, if somebody's a, a 115 swimmer or 120, they're still going to get it done faster than that. But yeah, not everybody's going to train 20 hours a week to get ready for an Ironman. But anyways, Jesse, just, just I know, I know a lot of people who train less than 20 hours a week to get ready for an Ironman. No, I'm not. I was, I was trying to math out. You know, like okay, 4K okay. session, and you know, like you know how You've long been a pro triathlete too long. You guys, if you guys listening might not know, Jesse's literally an award-winning math teacher. Um, but the but he moved to Europe and all of a sudden he's thinking in meters and not yards, can't keep it straight. Meters um, you're thinking. Sorry, I'm joking around, but um but yeah, I think that what you're trying to say is like a a bump in time as well as you're talking about a base amount of time. I think that's we it sounds like we differ by an hour or two which is, which is fine. Right. So essentially like I'm coming in saying like, if you're in the water three hours a week, that's if you were in the water two hours a week, bumping to three is going to be significant. And if you time things properly, 
with your longer swims and you're a competent, like you're comfortable in the water, you're comfortable that you can swim straight and whatnot, you're going to be able to um, have a successful Ironman for someone who doesn't train 20 hours a week. And I think that's the point I wanted to get across, right? So anyways. I, I think I think the one thing that we need to also address is that we're talking specifically about athletes training for an Ironman at the moment, right? Like that's so in ver, yardage versus time, you could look, is it, is it the, the goal to train them in your minds that they need to be in the water for the same duration at some point that it's going to take them to do the Ironman swim? And is the goal of that to build their endurance, to be able to be out there long enough and handle the duration of an Ironman swim. So one, we're defining that the, what we're talking about currently is specifically Ironman athletes and people preparing for as long as an Ironman swim. And then two, is it based off of, do you take the approach time in the water? Like what is their goal time going to be versus yardage? Because the same, it's the, it's the same distance race for everybody but how long they're going to be in there. So, but if you've got a fast swimmer, like someone who's holding a 115 base per hundred, maybe they're able to crank out 6K sets in an hour and 15 minutes versus someone who is a, maybe their uh, two minute per hundred swimmer, which is more of the average two minute to 210. It's going to take them that hour and a half to maybe get through even just the, the 4K swim set you know, maybe even a little longer, an hour 40. So, so I think, do you take the approach that does the athlete need to be, and then there's other approaches as well. Like is technique override the distance? Where does fitness override technique? And so we were talking about that a little bit before we started recording, right? Like what's the point where the athlete starts to break down technically and it's no longer productive for them to be in the water that long, or do they need to build that endurance? So the swimmer that is on a win 15 base and has really, you know, a good deep background and they're able to get 6k in in an hour 15, they're probably technically more sound than the other athlete as well. So do you pull them out before their, their technique starts to break down? Or do you say, no, we need to push through that because we need the endurance to be in the water an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes. So pretty you know, there's so much to uncover here as far as, uh, you know, if we're talking and, and right now we're zeroed in on talking about an Ironman athlete. Of course, there's short course racers, there's ITU racers, there's people who race 70.3s, um, people who have swim backgrounds versus people who have no swim background at all. So, you know, a lot to talk about there. So yeah, let's focus in on those entry-level athletes who, I guess, and I mean entry in like the swim world, as in they haven't been swimming since they were four and stayed in the pool the entire time. Like, you know, maybe they're familiar with the water and they can swim pretty well and they can swim under the Ironman cutoff, but like, you know, in general, say they do in that like two to two and a half, maybe 3K sets. And that's like a, a pretty solid swim for them, you know, um, what do you like to see for those athletes in that preparation for an Ironman specifically? Like how, how big of a set do you think they should do? And where do you draw that line as far as like, Hey, like your form is breaking down because you don't swim 4k very often. Like, do you, do you make, do you think it's good for them to push through? No. Me specifically? Uh, or? Hell yeah, yeah, answer, yeah. Yeah. No. But there's a point where you have to swim long enough that they're comfortable with the fact that they're going to swim an Ironman distance and they know they can do that. 
So depending on the athlete in that scenario, some of them are quite confident in the water. If you give them enough time, they'll finish and they don't mind that they're going to go slower. And other people are going to have some level of panic. I mean, that happens even with fast people. Um, <clears throat> and so you have to solve for the personality. But if somebody's whether if somebody's comfortable or not, you still need to make sure they have enough endurance so they're not totally exhausted because there's still quite a significant bike and run after the swimming in Ironman, it turns out. Um, and so you do need to solve that puzzle as you get closer to the race. But if you're not like in the six weeks, eight weeks before the race, um, I would spend most of the time just trying to accumulate time spent making a change in their swim stroke which usually is focusing kind of like on one thing at a time or in a lot of it, it's just getting comfortable with their stroke and accumulating time, making a change as opposed to time swimming. Right. So like if you're just swimming to swim, you're just going to get slightly more fit and still have a shit stroke. And most everybody, I mean, even a lot of one fifteen swimmers have pretty low hanging fruit. Right. Like I coach a couple of guys who are, are like uh, racing the either whatever you want to call it, the bottom end of the pro field, top end of the uh, amateur field. And you watch their strokes and you're like, yep, there's like six things we can fix, but you can only fix one at a time. And it's probably going to take months and months and months to fix it. Right. But you have to spend time focusing on that one thing and really dialing in. OK, we can give you, you know, more time spent thinking about this thing for this two and a half, three K swimmer. You're talking about two K swimmer. Um, <clears throat> we can spend time doing that, but a lot of times that just looks like aerobic swimming and just being very clear that they need to be focused on some one aspect of their stroke. And, and for most people, a lot of times it's just breathing. Like, are they comfortable breathing? And I think that happens naturally for a lot of people who are just trying to finish a swim. Maybe they end up breathing but it depends on the person and the conversation they're having on the swim. Does that make sense? Uh, well, hopefully everyone ends up breathing, but, um, but you, so, you know what I'm saying? Like the tension someone creates, if they don't have a control of when they exhale and when they inhale and how that works in with the rest of the cycle of their swim, when they're a more beginner level swimmer. Yeah. So you're talking about the people focusing on one thing at a time, when you're doing that, are you doing any other work? Or are you just saying, Hey, for this, whatever, 12 week block before the eight weeks before your race, you're just swimming like relatively easy thinking about this one thing at a time, or is there any, no, no, no. You're changing all sorts of paces and efforts, but you're still trying to kind of think about like one thing at a time. Now you might do two swims thinking about your certain inhale, exhale pattern. And then you might do another thing thinking about rotation or head position or like, you know, like if a lot of those people have scissors kicks, you know, so figuring things like that out, obviously like the baseline of hand entry and catch all sorts of things like that. So you're going to right. so all of those, anybody who's swimming a two hour Ironman swim probably has, they probably have a bad head position, bad, bad head entry, bad catch, their kick is wonky, their hips are low. Like, so how are you going to change all of that at once? You kind of can't, right? So it's like, you want to kind of choose one thing and then do that for a couple swims, but they might get annoyed with it. So then you pick a backup thing and focus more on that backup thing for one or two swims. And then you go back to the other thing. Meanwhile, you still have a pretty standard progression or what I would consider standard progression where some of your swims are long and aerobic and some of them have speedy fast stuff and some are kind of in the middle. Um, feel free to jump in and 
No, I just wanted to clarify that because I, I think earlier you kind of made it sound like, hey, we're just going to swim easy for a really long time and focus on things. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was hoping you would get to there. Um, so, yeah, but you kind of dodge the question. Do you, do you think it's important for an Ironman athlete to swim the Ironman distance before the race in that eight to six weeks leading up? Yeah, but not a ton of times if they're if they're really not that great of a swimmer because they're mostly just going to be swimming poorly and making themselves exhausted. So it's purely it's it's more solving for confidence in that point. Like you do need to do a, a couple because you have to have the baseline endurance. But if somebody's swimming three thousand, the swims if in, if you're in a long course meter pool, your swims thirty eight hundred in the race. And if they're going to be putting a wetsuit on, they don't normally swim in a wetsuit they're going to be more well rested. Like you're going to be, if you can swim, you know, your biggest swim of the week is 3,032. It's not that big of a jump to do 3,800. And if your form is really like making progress, if you do three, 4,000 swims before the race, you're going to be ready from an endurance standpoint. Um, and hopefully if you've spent enough time discussing pacing, et cetera, these people are not going to just sprint out the first 200 of the swim. They're like, this is a long swim. I need to swim efficiently for the whole hour plus. And I think that's where a lot of people get into trouble is trying to sprint to stay on feet when they're trying to swim 115. Like whose, whose feet are you swimming on? You're swimming on a 115 swimmer's feet. I mean, even when you, you had in your, your races, when you were first racing professionally, like you couldn't, you were swimming on people's feet at 56 and it was like, well, you can't always trust the 56 swimmer's feet. Like there's gradients of everything. Are, would you agree? I'm kind of talking too much. Actually, you know what? One thing, is I, one thing I do disagree on is that there, the endurance required to swim continuously open water in a stressful environment where it's crowded, uh, you can't see that well. You're, I, I think for most athletes, the wetsuit, yes, it helps with body position, but it's more tiring for most athletes. They don't practice it in a lot. It's restricting. It's a uh, more tiring for their arms. And I think the endurance required to swim continuously in a stressful environment with rubber around their arms that they're not necessarily well practiced in or practiced enough. That's just the reality of how it goes for most people. Jesse's dying laughing at me. Um, I think that that actually requires quite a bit of strength and quite a bit of endurance that exceeds, you know, if someone's only swimming three times a week and they're only swimming three, 3000 yards broken with rest. And obviously lots of it, a lot of times hanging out at the wall in between quite a bit. I think that their endurance to achieve that well and not have it absolutely destroy them for their bike and run. It's not enough. You know, I think they're, they, they do need to get some really, really good big swims in them where they're, they have that ability to, to handle that. And they're not, it, and it's also even maybe, eliminate some of that panic that happens, like you're saying at the start, not, not sprinting off the line. Yeah. Understanding pacing and your ability and, you know, the excitement of the start and, and the crowd zooming forward and, and having good conversations and good self-awareness and control to be able to handle like what is best for me. But regardless, that's a very stressful environment for most people. So they have to have the base endurance and, and ability to handle that. So I think 
I have my Ironman athletes, whether they're a good swimmer or not, be prepared endurance wise to handle that. And I feel like that's my responsibility as a coach to make sure that they have that, you know, just that under their belt so that they're safe because it's a long swim, you know, and being in the water, like, especially these cold water swims, they're going to be out there an hour and a half or longer. That's a long time to be in cold water, you know, and not generating a whole lot of heat. So if you don't have the endurance for that, that could, that could really mess someone's day up. Yeah, that's fair. How long of a swim do you do you go with in Maryland? Do you have like a do you do like three by two k or something? Like, do you have like a, a go to like few weeks out or anything like that? No, I mean three by two k is a bit aggressive, but well, you know, I just make, make that <laughs> that's that's kind of aggressive. I do so in that case, yeah, it would be more. I pick a a swim that I I that will challenge them, but be in relationship to the amount of time or, or over the amount of time that they're going to be swimming. So if I have someone who's like an hour five, an hour 10 swimmer, which is a lot of people that I coach, I will have them do a couple five, six K swims, you know, regularly they're swimming between three and four K if, and you know, the, some shorter stuff, obviously a variation. If they're only swimming three days a week, we've got to target the different energy systems required to handle the stress of the swim and increase their, uh, fitness to be able to swim faster. There's a technical component in the warm up and cool down that we've got one thing we're focusing on. Like you say, Elliot, it's like, okay, they've got one technical correction. So we do need to continue to focus on that if we're in competition phase. So in the warm up and cool down, here's your technique that we need to focus on. Here's your main set targeting this energy system this time. Um, Cause we've only got three days a week. That's most people that they can get to the pool within their life. But then the endurance swim that they do is a little bit longer than what they're going to be expected to be out there. So that might be if someone's an hour and a half swimmer, it might be closer to that their longest swim is right around an hour and a half or an hour 40 or maybe even an hour 45 a couple of times. But the hour five swimmer, or we might go more on yardage, hour five, hour 10 swimmer, I'll expect them to do a couple five, six K swims. So they have that, that strength and endurance to be able to handle swimming open water continuously in a stressful environment. I would just say like, I think I, for someone who's naturally like uh, more timid or less comfortable in the water. Yeah. I, I the, the more time you're going to spend in the water, they're that's going to help them. And then I would just on the, the way you were setting up your sets, why wouldn't you also have a focus on the technique while they're swimming their main set? Like, why can't you continue to think about one thing while you're swimming? If you, if you can't swim aerobically or even at a half Ironman race pace while thinking about one technical thing, I just think there has to be like a consistent commitment to, to form change, or it's not going to happen because you, you need like, I don't know the specific number, but you know, you need like five strokes of changed form to overcome your previous stroke. Um, and so if you, if you have a 3k set and 2k of it's just swimming hard and you did 500 at the beginning and end of technique, I think a lot of times that's like how people trick themselves into thinking they're making a change and they're just like kind of patting around, beating around the bush. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And actually that is they, if they have their one thing that they're focused on fixing, like say you've given them um, this is what we're, you've done a video and you say, uh, you know, we're going to focus on this for the next month and sure. in their main set, 
you know, maybe it's that, like you say, that one thing we're going to, we're going to focus on rotation for the next month and we're going to fix that. And you, you're thinking about it every time you're in the water. However, in the warm up and the cool down, there will be specific drills targeting that feel, right? So you start the session saying, okay, we're going to do some side to side work with fins and a snorkel and, and really focus on a technical drill to set that before you start your main set in your warm up. And we're also going to warm up the energy system of what we're doing today. And then when you're in your main set, of course, you're focused, continuing to focus on that one thing, if it's rotation for this month, and, and really feeling that while you are watching the clock and, and, you know, nailing that main set, and then you finish with the cool down back to that those technical drills so that you finish with that muscle memory of, okay, now that I'm a little bit tired and I've done a main set, I'm going to finish with those same drills that I started with. And so that might be a, a really productive way to design a swim workout for someone. I think no matter how advanced or how beginner, you know, uh, ideally if someone's really beginner in a perfect world, which most people don't have this in their, in their life, but let's say they have a perfect world where they can swim you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes, six days a week, more, that would be better for the less experienced swimmer because it's frequency and exposure at a short period of time of good swimming, right? So maybe they do one long swim a week, but the rest of them, it's like frequency of good, good swimming reps where they never break down, get tired, but they're in the pool five, six days a week. Most people can't swim five, six days a week in their life and still get the number of bikes and runs that they need to be successful in a race. So if you're, most people are looking at two to three swims a week at best, and that's what they're able to manage in their life. So we have to work in those parameters. I'm going to re repeat something you just said. You said, because the beginner swimmer is breaking down and getting tired. So essentially you're trying to maximize time spent swimming as appropriately as possible and minimize time spent flailing for lack of a better term. So, yep. Jesse, on to you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're just looking at like only good yards, right? So you, you don't want, you don't want somebody in there so long. And like, you know, I would say that there are other ways you can kind of combat that. Like, let's say you can only get there three times a week, but you could swim for 75 minutes. Maybe it's like, okay, we're going to break it down to 25s by the end so that you can still hold good form for a 25 or whatever, but you can, you know, you can maximize that 75 minutes that you have. So you can kind of like find ways to change the constraints in, in order to maximize maybe the time that they have with that. Um, well, I guess I need to push back on myself. Uh, you said only good yards. I like in theory, I agree with that. That was my whole thesis statement at when I started rambling earlier and there, but you do need to spend some amount of time coming up against the line of, is this where my form falls apart and what does this feel like? And then what you, you need to have a constant conversation about is when you're swimming like an Ironman distance pace, what does that feel like? If you're swimming a, a pool swim 500, what does that feel like? And how do you adjust and can you adjust? And hopefully you just spend a small amount of time on every main workout coming up against with that, like, maybe my form is kind of going down the tubes and then you, you either are able to adjust because of how the set was written or you're not able to adjust. And then you, you need to just either end the swim or um, change the workouts in the future. I, I would also say that, 
I don't like swimmers to think about their stroke the entire time they're swimming. I, I think that you can kind of get in your own head a little bit too much in the pool. If you're like, every time you swim, every single set, trying to think about something, you can come out of the pool, like totally backwards and being like, I was thinking about this so much. I don't know which end is up. So I, I, I agree that, you know, doing one thing at a time, but I also think sometimes it's like, Hey, like right now you're doing whatever it is, 12 by a hundred, and they've got to be pretty hard and just kind of go for it and try not to overthink. I think sometimes it's good to have some time in the water where you shut your brain off. Cause otherwise you, I, I, I have athletes. That maybe by analysis. What? Paralysis by analysis. Yeah, so exactly. You just like, they come out of the water, totally frazzled. Then like, I don't want to go to the pool. Cause it's like so stressful. And it's like, whoa, bro, just, just go swim kind of hard for a while. And like, don't think today. And then we'll have another swim to the next day or whatever, where you're kind of like slowing things down again, focusing again. But I, I think it can be good to have some time where you're just kind of like, it doesn't have to be super hard or whatever, but some swimming where maybe you can enjoy swimming. And, and maybe for you, that's in trying to go a little bit harder and not think so much. So I, I do think that that can be kind of a, a critical component I like to include. Would you consider paying attention to your effort as thinking too much? No, effort's one thing I would say, but if you're like, oh, how's my hand entry? What am I doing underneath the water? And, and you know, it can be like too many. Yeah, but if you, if I, I think paying attention to effort sometimes is a skill. Oh yeah, so totally. like to, to me, a technical skill is like, is this too hard or too easy? And so sometimes that's my skill that I'm prescribing to people is like thinking about a certain race pace or effort. Um, and like, is this actually something that's like feels sustainable? And that's not a specific thing about the stroke. It's about the effort put into the stroke or the rhythm of the stroke um, and getting back to breathing. So I realized I was like saying you have to be thinking about one thing all the time, but sometimes that thing <laughs> is just breathing or how hard you're pushing yourself, which is, um, I guess, maybe not, I didn't make that very clear early on. Yeah. And I think it's also important to remember that there's for people that there's no perfect stroke. So you're always improving the little things that are going to see an improvement in your pace times, but to remember that there is no perfect stroke. So, you know, you can watch really good swimmers. Uh, there's so many YouTube videos out there now of great swimmers. I highly recommend you choose swimmers that are doing triathlon and not pool swimmers because pool swimming and triathlon swimming are different. So if you pick triathletes and, and maybe if you do watch pool swimmers, watch ones that are similar build to you. So if you're five foot three, it's probably not helpful for you to watch someone who's six foot seven, right? Their, their rhythm, their turnover and what they're doing in their stroke is going to look different. Their timing of their kick and everything is going to look different than you. So, you know, watching a really good swimmer before, you know, frequently. So you, you uh, have that idea in your mind of what it looks like, but someone similar to you and hopefully that does the same sport as you watching them over, you know, above water and underwater, then getting yourself videoed frequently so that you can maybe once a month, you can see what you look like. So you can see yourself and then watch the good swimmer of what that should look like frequently, and then go ahead and apply it to the pool as often as possible. But remembering that there is no perfect stroke. You're just looking for, are my times improving? Am I getting more efficient in the water? And is this, is this helping me progress forward as a swimmer? And then the next thing as a triathlete, I think that is important to talk about is the old, you know, you're, this is a big 
this is a big argument between a lot of coaches is at what point for swimmers who don't have a good background when they're so tired from all the biking and running they have to do, especially Ironman athletes, is it acceptable to use toys to maintain somewhat a good body position and technique when they're really tired? For example, a pool boy, you know, some people might say, take that pool boy out. It's only hurting you. You need to swim. And some people might say, you know, you're losing your body position. You're not getting good reps in throw the pool boy in so that you can continue to get good reps, continue to make good, have good body position and still get the, uh, a long enough swim in. So I think it's important that we address that as well. Cause you know, people say, Oh, throw that pool boy out. Don't even ever bring it to the pool. And then you see other programs and coaches that are like, don't even ever get in the pool without that boy, because it's, it's your, your body position is just die. It's killing you. So. Can I give you guys a little story from Boulder Supermasters? Yeah. Uh, which Erica's aunt deemed the swim group at the Colorado Athletic Club Supermasters. If you're, if you're not ranked top 50 in the world, get out. Um, anyways, a person who shall not be named. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people swimming there who are ranked top 50 in the world, whether it's Ironman or short course. And so a lot of obviously the short course folks are very, very fast swimmers. And somebody has been showing up with floaty shorts and, and, um, I don't, I don't want to like out this person or anything, but like the, the gist of it is this person's not as good of a swimmer and all the people who are better swimmers just kind of roll their eyes. But if you're training for a long course versus short course, I think it's a big, it's like a, it, you'd be like foolhardy to say you should never use shorts or you should never use a pole buoy. And it just kind of depends just how fast you have to be swimming for your competition demands. And okay, if your goal is not to swim front pack in a world in a WTCS race, you probably have a space for the shorts or the buoy, um, which is kind of what I'd like to answer your question. Um, the thing I would like to make a point of is it's fine if that's what if that's something you use, but if you're using it more than like a third of a time, in my personal opinion then there's something the way with how your program's written that it's fine that sometimes you show up to the pool tired, but if you're showing up to the pool too tired to swim a good stroke, even for the first half of the swim without toys, you've got a lot of issues to solve and toys are not going to help solve that problem. But then just preface that with like, of course, sometimes you're going to be exhausted and you probably need those devices to basically help you with your body position so that when you swim without them, when you're not as tired, you are still having a similar catch and breathing and head position and whatnot, um, which is, I think, the, the main benefit of what someone could get from the shoot, the shorts or the, the buoy. Yeah, I'd like to think of it as like, are you using it as a tool as an asset or are you using it as like a crutch? And if you're struggling to make a set, then you're using it as a crutch in order to like get through this set. Maybe it's because you're swimming with people that are faster than you and it's like a, a designed crutch. You're like, hey, I'm gonna use this crutch to some of these people. And, and that's fine. So you're kind of like using it as a tool in that case to make that swim group. But if you're like, Hey, I like can't hang all the time and I need to put on like, you know, cheater shorts or throw the pull buoy in and, and you're doing that every single set, then you're not likely not meeting the goal of that set every single time. And so you're probably not going to progress forward in your swim. So if you're using it as an appropriate tool, then I think hundred percent, it can be used. I mean, I, don't ever go to the pool without some sort of tools with me. 
And, but I try and like, again, implement them appropriately. And like, hopefully when you're designing sets for yourself or you're writing sets for other people, you're saying, Hey, like, you know, some of this is going to be swimming and it's going to be there for a reason. And then some of it's going to be with toys and hopefully that the swimmer, the athlete can kind of abide by those, those guidelines. And, and then, you know, if they're not, then again, like Elliot said, you kind of maybe revisit and see what's missing here because yeah, I've seen a lot of fast people that always throw the pull buoy in and then are in races when they can't throw the pull buoy in, they kind of miss the mark. So, you know, you've got to make sure you're using it as an appropriate tool in your program. And yeah, maybe if it's a Sunday swim after a really hard run, you're like, yeah, this is going to be pull buoy all day because I'm barely trying to stay afloat here. Maybe that's fine. But, you know, if it's your hard swim of the, of the week and it's not designed to be all pull and all of a sudden it is all pull and that's week after week, then I'd say you're kind of missing a box that should be checked. I agree completely. And one, uh, I'll give two examples of different athletes that I work with. So I had one athlete that did uh, use toys for all of their swims. And I was trying to tell them, you know, consistently, we really, really need to get these swims without the buoy or without your fins or, you know, just commit to this much of the main set. And it wasn't, the swims were appropriate, all of these things. They just had a, uh, developed a crutch on these things and it became a real thing. And what was happening is, you know, once they were exactly what you're saying, Jesse, once they got to the race and their legs were engaged in a way that they hadn't really done in the pool, their heart rate, of course, skyrockets because they're not used to that, right? It's a different energy system when you, when you swim versus when you pull heart rates, different, all of those things. And they were like, I don't understand why I'm blowing up. And also they thought it was maybe like an asthma attack or, you know, some kind of other element that was, uh, an actual physical condition. And I just kept telling them like, look, this actually has to do with the way you're approaching your training. And I really need you to not use your toys on these specific main sets so that you get used, you get the fitness required and the, and, you know, the ability to handle high heart rate in the water and what that feels like and manage it and, and train that. So, so that's one example. Then I, another, I have another athlete that, you know, they're really committed to, no, I, I don't want to use these toys. I want to be able to get this. I want to get my body position. I want to get everything without it, which is fantastic. But then we might finish every single session with 825s fast with fins so that they learn what it feels like to be up on top of the water when they're tired, you know, and, and, you know, those Phelps fins in particular are really great for swimmers that aren't good at that because they have a, they actually float your legs up. Like if you put those on, boom, your feet come way up in the water. And I love those for, for swimmers who don't have a great swim background. It's just, it's a, you know, fins can do all the different shapes and styles of fins provide different things. Those little tiny heavy-weighted zoomers, those are for advanced swimmers who have really good kick and really good body position, all that. Someone who doesn't, that's just going to sink them even more and burn their legs up. But those, you know, if you're, so choosing the right paddles, choosing the right gear, when the timing of it is. So for that person, I was like, let's use the Phelps fins. We're going to finish every single swim with 825s really fast and get your body position up on top of the water. So um, two examples of, of when to, when's good to take those toys away and when's good to, to force putting them in. The right. Michael I Phelps just... fins oh, for the listeners have like a, a flotation in them. So yeah. they can help bring your, your feet up and they don't have uh, a weight on them. Anyways, sorry, Jesse. No worries. Um, I have a short question and a big question I want to make sure we get to. So short question, 
if an athlete is preparing for a swim that they are 100% sure it's going to be wetsuit, how do you feel about them doing the majority of their swimming in floaty shorts? Oh, I, um, yeah, I still think. Do they? We're both, we're shaking. We, we our agree. Head. We okay. agree. Yeah. We're shaking our head in the same way. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're both saying no at the same time. What about you? Yeah, I I think they. You know, you still need to be able to do like a a threshold touch and go swim without shorts, without a buoy, and be able to to handle doing that to be able to race well or even just complete it well. Even if you're like, I just want to finish this, you still you still need to be able to do that. And that doesn't mean like, why not just train in a wetsuit if you have access in open water, right? Like if you could swim open water, if you said I'm racing in only wetsuits and I can swim open water for all my swims, I'm okay with that. But um, like, for instance, like in during the pandemic, when there was no pool access, we were in a spot, Erica swimming in a wetsuit, like for all our swims. I, and then she ended up racing in a wetsuit for all our swims. And that wasn't like, not the worst thing in the world. It was a pretty interesting, like training experiment. What do you think, Jesse? Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence. Cause like, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm also like, well, you know, if the best thing that you have in order to mimic the wetsuit is, is floaty shorts. Cause like, you know, wetsuit in the pool is like always questionable in my mind to how that actually sure. correlates to open water. Yeah. And like chance of death from overheating is like pretty high. So, so, I mean, I, I see, I see the relevance because I do think it has a somewhat similar effect on your body position um, to wearing the wetsuit. And it does take some of the, some of the stress away, but then if you're swimming in a wetsuit anyways, then some of the stress is kind of taken away from on your body. So, uh, you know, I guess maybe it depends on my mind on the goals of the athlete in that swim. And if like, yeah, I want to get through it feeling like pretty good. And I know that if I swim in the shorts, it's going to kind of mimic that body position and I'll get through feeling pretty good. And there's not like, oh, I need to go, you know, 26 flat in this way or for an Ironman, whatever, like um, 55 flat or an hour flat, you know? So it may be that the, the level of the athlete and the goals of the athlete play a role in my mind on, on that decision-making process. Um, you know, if you're going to go sub an hour in an Ironman, then I'd say you probably need to take the shorts off a bit. But if you're like, Hey, I want to finish an Ironman in an hour 20 or an hour 25 or an hour 40, then I'd say, yeah, maybe, you know, just enjoy the body position and wear them. Um, but my bigger question is, uh, so I want, I really want to get into some over distance swimming questions, you know, because this 12 year old that I was swimming with the other day, by the end of the swim, I was like spent and he's swimming circles around me and he's getting ready for a short course season as a, you know, a junior. So as long as swim is going to be like what, 400 meters and he's swimming six K a few times a week. So I guess, what do you guys think about that? Do you guys see any pros of that? Do you see any cons of that? Um, Deep I, I would just say the last uh, 13 year old that swam circles around me more recently, she's not 13 anymore. She's 21 or two was the fastest hundred meter backstroker in the world. Um, and she was coached by her dad who I was, you know, swimming with their group and he has five world records in the backstroke. Do they swim a lot? Yes. Dave Burkoff. That's what I'm talking about. Um, and his daughter, <laughs> Catherine. Dave, when he was training for his first Olympic swam 110,000 yards a week for the hundred meter backstroke as a coach, 
you could argue he's been more successful. He's done a whole bunch of stuff with USA Swimming. He's essentially like the backhorse guru. His daughter, when she's setting all the records in, in winning junior nationals and whatnot, and not just going to trials, but placing fourth. Um, and now currently she's won a bunch of medals at world champs. They're not doing insane six, seven K yards. Like is she swimming six K? Sure. But it's like on, it's on Saturday morning and it's more likely that she's going to do 3,500 to 4,500. And there's a lot more, um, time spent on swimming fast and swimming well. And I understand she's a hundred meter backstroker and not a junior triathlete who's trying to cover some distance. But if you're 12, I don't understand why you wouldn't spend as much time as possible on trying to develop skills. And I also think if you're 32 or if you're 62, I don't know why you wouldn't try to spend more time developing skills. If you're at the point in your swim experience where you're similar to that 12 year old, maybe that 12 year old has been swimming for four or five years. And so if you've only been swimming four or five years, um, or even if you've been swimming 10 years, I would really question and say, yeah, you have to be aerobically strong, but you can, you can have time spent on technique and get aerobically strong. It's just that the progression takes a little bit more time. So you're not going to hit those six K swims super well. Um, so anyway, so it sounds like, like overall you're, you're opposed to that idea of, of big swims across the board. I mean, Eric is not afraid of any single Switzerland swimmer in the whole world circuit. And she didn't start swimming until high school. And it was in a small town in Montana. So, yeah, <laughs> like, they're, they're not known for their swimming. Um, and I, I realize I'm from a small town in Montana, but like I was swimming next to the girl who's literally the fastest person in the world last year. I know how she developed it. I was there. Um, I spent a lot of time with that group getting made fun of uh, for, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have those skills, but I at least understand how her and a lot of other people who swam quite well to the division one level got their foot in the door. And if you look through the history, I think the most interesting thing apart it is the guy who set all the world records changed how he coached because he realized how he was swimming was inefficient. So I think that's the, like the real kicker, um, and I had this conversation just last month with the guy who's won the swim at Ironman Hawaii twice, who's also from the small town in Montana I'm from. And, and he was like poo-pooing it. But he, when he was the, one of the best guys in the world, that was 1980. So it's like, we're looking at 42 year, 43 year old training methods. And he was like, look, I've got my system. There's nobody who's 60. I don't know how John is right now. He's 60 something. Um, and he's just like, okay, well, I am where I am and he doesn't care to change anymore. Right. So that's like his personality. But um, if you look at how people are getting faster currently, I don't think it's a 12 year old just smashing yards for the sake of smashing yards. But I didn't say, I didn't say anything about smashing yards. I said it was a six K set. Yeah. And so I also don't know the whole history of that specific kid. Right. I so if he's as well, it's just a small child. That was oh, maybe. okay. Yeah. So, but like if he's 15 and he's been swimming since he's six, maybe that's not actually that bad of a thing. Right. So there's like a lot of nuance of like, when would you move a kid up or do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, no, I was asking more generally how you feel about big swims. And I just happened to say that I was getting, you know, lapped by a 12 year old. So, so big swims sounds like you're, you're kind of in general against it. Like, you know, I, I, they have Whether their time in their place, but it's probably not every day. That's probably cool. what I should say. Right, Marilyn, how do you feel about big <laughs> Um, I, 
honestly, I, I like big swims. I think, I think, uh, you know, if, the same thing we've been saying, if you're technically breaking down to a point where it's like, there's going to be a certain amount of technical breakdown as you push endurance, of course. Right. And the idea is that the better your endurance gets, the longer you're going to be able to hold your technique for it. So where's that tipping point for most athletes? And I, so I do think that, that long swims are, are good. You know, they're, I, I think that they're a huge part of being a good swimmer. You've, you've got to swim a lot to, to swim well. So I think big swims, as long as the athlete isn't so broken down technically that it's not really productive anymore, I think, I think that they're good. Um, I will say I, I had the opportunity many years ago to swim with a group in Australia, and this program was the feeder program into the Australian Institute um, sport where a lot of Olympic swimmers go, the AIS, and, uh, and gold, you know, several gold medalists come out of that program. And the coach there was phenomenal. And, and this was focused on kids. This was a group of kids that we swam with, like you were experiencing, Jesse, you know, you've got really young kids swimming laps around you. They, they swam a lot. They swam, you know, two days a week. They swam anywhere from three to six K or sorry, two days a week two times a day. So Monday through Sunday, they swam twice a day, except for one of, they had one day off and, and one day where they just swam once. So that's a lot of swimming, right? It's a, and a lot of big swims as well. However, this coach said, you know, you've got to give young swimmers or new swimmers in a place to continue to go. So in other words, if you if you cap them out on everything by the time they go to college or by the time they go to the IS or they get to a point where they're, you know, further down the track, then you have nothing left to build on to continue to see them get faster. So your original question is, do I believe in big swims? Yes, I like big swims. I think they're a big part of base swimming. If we're talking about another topic of developing what, what Elliot was touching on was, developing kids specifically. I think that most swim programs, they, we know they need to swim a lot, even if you're triathletes, that's good for them to swim a lot and often. However, the idea of a long-term progression and continuing to give them something to, to grow on. In other words, you might, you might say, okay, well, we're going to leave that room to add in the gym once they're in college. We're not going to have two a day swims, six days a week and gym when they're kids. And then by the time they get to college, they're pretty capped out and their time start going down, 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 but you have nothing left to work with. They're already completely capped out. So this coach's philosophy was, I mean, I have, a, have them swim a lot, but we're never, ever going to touch the gym because by the time they, when they get to the AIS, then, then they're going to also need to hit the gym and then they're performance is going to go up. So I don't know if I described that right. So two different topics there. Your original question. Yes, I believe in big swims. I think they're great. Um, I think the topic of development of kids is a whole nother podcast we could, we could do. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think maybe we'll leave that out for today, but I do like the idea of like, you know, it's kind of like when you're giving an athlete tools to work with, you don't just say, Hey, here's everything I know on day one. Like, there you go. You're good. You, you kind of like have to slow roll it. And same with the, the tools, which you're giving athletes over time, you have to give them at the right time. And, you know, that coach's philosophy was like, Hey, 
we're going to save the gym work for layer number 38. And we're going to do a base of swimming up until then. And I think, yeah, that's, it sounds like it was a really successful philosophy for him. Um, and yeah, I guess the point of me mentioning that the kid is that he had clearly been swimming and progressed long enough so that he could withstand a six K swim better than me. And um, yeah, was swimming well at the end. So he was doing something right in order to be able to hold his technique that long. And, um, and I kind of was thinking about the benefits for this, you know, this, uh, this kid in order to be able to do that at his age, where then we're going for a run and he, we, we could have a conversation while some of the people around us were like out of breath and, and, you know, maybe aerobically not as fit as this kid was from being able to swim as, as much as he must be swimming. And so I think there's probably, there's a lot of like crossover and other benefits you can get from that in, in a pretty safe environment, you know, again, like assuming that you've been kind of layered into that appropriately over time, even at a, we'll call him 14 or 15 year old. So that now when he goes, he's going to run or going to ride, you know, maybe he doesn't have the impact, but aerobically he's strong enough to, you know, um, to go on an hour easy road with me and be able to chat the whole time after. Actually, one time uh, I asked for some advice on a, a older athlete that I have from my mentor and, and coach Scott Molina. And his advice was any athletes over the age of, you know, when they're getting into their like later fifties, early sixties, he, he, he was like, have them swim a lot because they're not gonna be able to run as much anymore, right? Their bodies are breaking down or running's getting harder and harder as you get older, that's just how it is. But he was like, if you have them swim a lot, exactly what you were saying, that point you just made even with a kid, but he was, he, his point was the older your athlete and the more injury prone and, and later down the track they are, having them swim a lot to your exact point was their aerobic engine continues to be really, really good but they're not getting beat up on the road or, and, and then they're, be, they're able to still do triathlon and run as they age with not, not as much uh, of an issue. So, so good point there for a kid, but also really important for those later masters athletes as well. Yeah. I think you can kind of, you fill in the gaps a lot of ways. And I think one of those ways is, you know, by maybe doing some over distance swimming, like you know, I would say, I tend to, in my history, lean towards over-distance riding, but in order to kind of get those big aerobic benefits, but I think you can slice it up a lot of ways. And then, um, so yeah, I maybe I would have said something different five or six years ago on my opinions on swimming for six, seven, eight K, but um, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm kind of like turning to say, maybe that can be okay for people that can really hold form for a long time. Cool. Awesome. I've had you guys here a long time. Um, so we should wrap it up. I appreciate you guys getting up early and uh, drinking your coffee with me. Yeah, super fun conversation. I think this is something that we could talk about a lot. And hopefully there's at least a few little things people can apply to their apply to their own training and, and take away from it and, and get better in the water. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thanks.